especially. And uh, when you combine that with a uh, knowledge of God and a, a walk with God that he had, you end up with a book that's well worth reading. <clears throat> what I've actually been doing, I got, I ha- have the book on tape or, or on a CD, and uh, it's been very profitable just taking walks and listening to the various chapters as I walk. So what I'm going to do this evening is just share with you some thoughts from the book. Uh, I'm not, this is not preaching, this is not teaching, I guess it's just reading. (laughs) But uh, perhaps the Lord will use it. I know that some of these things have been important to me, and so um, I think that's one of the criteria for things that we should share is something that's meaningful to, to us personally, so that's what I'm doing here. Um, the, the title of the book comes, you don't need to turn from this, but Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 is, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So that's um, the introduction, and I'm just going to start reading you some of these thoughts, and, and I'm, I jumped around in the book. Uh, there's not, uh, it may not all flow just one right after another together because these are from different chapters, but just consider some of these things um, and ask the Lord to, to uh, make them profitable for each one of us here. Tozer says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God, that's the most important thing about us. The most portentous, which I had to look up, that means important. I'll read it that way. The most important fact about any man is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. That's the most important thing about any person. What they really think down in their heart. Uh, what he conceives God to be like. We tend, by a secret law of the soul, to move toward our mental image of God. Whatever you conceive God's like, you're going to be moving towards that, he says. Uh, This is true not only of the individual Christian, but of the company of Christians that composes the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God. That's the important thing. What's the real idea of God? What do we really conceive God to be like? Uh, Just as her most significant message is what she says about him or leaves unsaid. Without a doubt, the mightiest thought the mind can entertain is the thought of God. And the weightiest word in any language is its word for God that our idea of God correspond as nearly as possible to the true being of God is of immense importance to us. Our idea of God corresponding 
with what God is really like, or as he says, as near as possible, the true being of God. And I thought this was something. He says, I believe there is scarcely an error in doctrine or a failure in applying the Christian ethics that cannot be traced finally to imperfect or ignoble thoughts about God. A wrong thought about God makes your doctrine wrong, makes your life wrong. Low views of God destroy the gospel for all who hold them. Low views of God destroy the gospel for all that hold them. If you don't have a right concept of what God is really like, you won't even see why you need the gospel. Perverted notions about God soon rot the religion in which they appear. So necessary to the church is a lofty concept of God that when that concept in any measure declines, the church with her worship and her moral standards decline along with it. The first step down for any church is taken when it surrenders its high opinion of God. So all these have to have to do with just a right, the right thought of God, a right conception of God is important for church, for worship, for the individual. Uh, the heaviest obligation lying upon the Christian church today is to purify and elevate her concept of God until it is once more worthy of him. And he has a lot to say in the book about how shallow and superficial much of uh, the concept of God that's being presented in Christianity today is. So, uh, one of the chapters, one of the early chapters is, is called God Incomprehensible. God Incomprehensible. Verily, God is of infinite greatness, says Richard Rolla. That's uh, R-O-L-L-E. I don't, uh, he was an English religious writer in about the 13th century. So he says, verily, or truly, God is of infinite greatness. More than we can think, unknowable by created things, and can never be comprehended by us as he is in himself. So the, the idea of God being incomprehensible, we cannot comprehend him. He's of infinite greatness, this one man said. And then he quotes, he, in, the, in this book, he quotes a lot of writers that we haven't normally heard of. Um, he liked to read some of these people that we sometimes call Christian mystics. Uh, Michael D. Malenus who was a Spanish quietist in the 16th century, said this, We think more loftily of God by knowing that he is incomprehensible and above our understanding than by conceiving him under any image or creature beauty according to our root understanding. So he's saying, you know, we have these um, images or ideas in our mind but we have to realize that ultimately God is incomprehensible. He's beyond our understanding. 
And uh, I don't know if this was a quote from him or just from Tozer. Uh, the human mind being created has an understandable uneasiness about the uncreated. We do not find it comfortable to allow for the presence of one who is wholly outside the circle of our familiar knowledge. We tend to be disquieted by the thought of one who does not account to us for his being, who is responsible to no one, who is self-existent, self-dependent, and self-sufficient. That must have been Tozer. Philosophy and science have not always been friendly toward the idea of God, the reason being that they are dedicated to the task of accounting for things and are impatient with anything that refuses to give an account of itself. The philosopher and the scientist will admit that there is much that they do not know, but that is quite another thing from admitting that there is something that they can never know, which indeed they have no technique for discovering. To admit that there is one who lies beyond us, who exists outside of all our categories, who will not be dismissed with a name, who will not appear before the borrower of our reason, nor submit to our curious inquiries. This requires a great deal of humility, more than most of us possess. So we save face by thinking God down to our level, or at least down to where we can manage him. And Tozer goes on to say, whenever we do that, we've just created an idol. To be right, we must think worthily of God. It is morally imperative for us for that we it is morally imperative that we purge from our minds all ignoble concepts of the deity and let him be the God in our minds that he is in his universe. The Christian religion has to do with God and man, but its focal point is God, not man. Man's only claim to importance is that he is created in the divine image. In himself he is nothing. And now, again, he, here he's talking about the current situation. He says, The God of Abraham has withdrawn his conscious, conscious presence from us, and another God, whom our fathers knew not, is making himself at home with us. This God we have made... And because we have made him, we can understand him. Because we have created him, he can never surprise us, never overwhelm us, nor admonish us, nor, uh, nor astonish us, nor transcend us. So he says we've got a God that we've basically made, and therefore we can, he says, um, uh, we can understand this God because we've created him. He never surprises us, never overwhelms us never astonishes us, never transcends us. Then he quotes uh, a man named Novation, who was a theologian and writer about uh, 250 A.D. He says, At the contemplation and utterance of his majesty, all eloquence is rightly dumb. All mental, mental effort is feeble. For God is greater than mind itself. His greatness cannot be conceived. 
you got to stop and think about what these guys are saying. God's greatness cannot be conceived. He says, if any statement could express him, he then would be less than human speech, which could by that statement comprehend and gather up all that he is. All our thoughts about him will be less than he is, and our loftiest utterances will be trivialities in comparison with him. Uh, Our loftiest utterances will be trivialities. That means even the best preaching you've ever heard doesn't come close to, to expressing what God really is. In the awful abyss of the divine being may lie attributes of which we know nothing and which can have no meaning for us. I believe there surely are other aspects of God's essential being which he has not revealed even to his ransomed and spirit-illuminated children. These hidden facets of God's nature concern his relation to none but himself. So there's things about God we can't possibly know. He hasn't even uh, tried to reveal them to us because they're they're beyond us and we have no uh, need to know those things. They have to do with uh, his relation with none but himself in the Trinity. So um, he has another chapter on the divine transcendence. That is that God is far beyond us, um, above us. We must not think of God as highest in an ascending order of beings, starting with the single cell and going up from the fish to the bird to the animal to man to angel to cherub to God. This would be to grant God eminence, even preeminence, but that is not enough. We must grant him transcendence in the fullest meaning of the word. Forever God stands apart in light unapproachable. He he is as high above an archangel as above a caterpillar. For the gulf that separates the archangel from the caterpillar is but finite, while the gulf between God and the archangel is infinite. The caterpillar and the archangel, though far removed from each other in the scale of created things, are nevertheless one in that they are alike created. They both belong in the category of that which is not God and are separated from God by infinitude itself. Then he quotes Isaac Watts, a portion of a poem from Isaac Watts, who said, How shall polluted mortals dare to sing thy glory or thy grace. Beneath thy feet we lie afar and see but shadows of thy face. He says the vision of divine transcendence, if we get just a little glimpse of what God is like, 
the vision of divine transcendence soon ends all controversy between man and his God. The fight goes out of man, and he is ready with the conquered soul to ask meekly, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Just one glimpse of what God is really like, and you're not fighting anymore. Then there's a chapter on the holiness of God. God's holiness is not simply the best we know infinitely bettered. We know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. The natural man is blind to it. He may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but his holiness he cannot even imagine. He is the absolute quintessence of moral excellence, infinitely perfect in righteousness, purity, and incomprehensible holiness. And in all this, he is uncreated, self-sufficient, and beyond the power of human thought to conceive or human speech to utter. These, these same kind of thoughts come out over and over throughout this book. Uh, the incomprehensible nature of God beyond the power of human thought or human speech. Only the spirit of the Holy One can impart to the human spirit the knowledge of the Holy. That's, of course, the title of the book, The Knowledge of the Holy. Only the spirit of the Holy One can impart to the human spirit the knowledge of the Holy. Apart from that, it's impossible. Before the uncreated fire of God's holiness, angels veil their faces. Yea, the heavens are not clean and the stars are not pure in his sight. No honest man can say, I am holy. But neither is any honest man willing to ignore the solemn words of the inspired writer, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Caught in this dilemma, what are we Christians to do? We must, like Moses, cover ourselves with faith and humility while we steal a quick look at God whom no man can see and live. The broken and the contrite heart he will not despise. We must hide our unholiness in the wounds of Christ as Moses hid himself in the cleft of the rock while the glory of God passed by. We must take refuge from God in God. I thought that was an amazing phrase. We must take refuge from God in God. Above all, we must believe that God sees us perfect in his Son while he disciplines and chastens and purges us that we may may be partakers of his holiness. We must believe that he sees us perfect in his Son, while he disciplines and chastens and purges us that we may be partakers of his holiness. The God we must learn to know is the majesty in the heavens, 
God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, the only wise God our Savior. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, who stretches out the heavens as a curtain and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, who brings out his starry host by number and calls them all by name through, his great, through the greatness of his power, who seeth the works of man as vanity, who putteth no confidence in princes and asks no counsel from kings. And then towards the end of the book, Tozer says this, We must practice the art of long and loving meditation upon the majesty of God. Long and loving meditation upon the majesty of God. Our witnessing, our singing, our preaching, our writing should center around the person of our holy, holy Lord and extol continually the greatness of his dignity and power. He says that we should keep the majesty of God in full focus in all our public services. I think he means our meetings especially. The majesty of God in full focus. And at the end of one of his chapters, he had this prayer. Majesty unspeakable, unspeakable, my soul desires to behold thee. I cry to thee from the dust. Yet when I inquire after thy name, it is secret. Thou art hidden in light which no man can approach. What thou art cannot be thought or uttered, for thy glory is ineffable, ineffable, which I looked up it means incapable of being expressed in words. Thy glory is ineffable. Still, prophet and psalmist, apostle and saint, have encouraged me to believe that I may to some, in some measure know thee. Therefore I pray, whatever of thyself thou hast been pleased to disclose, help me to search out this treasure more precious than rubies or the merchandise of fine gold. For with thee shall I live when the stars of the twilight are no more and the heavens have vanished away. So he's saying, I'm going to live. It's, you know, we're going to live with God in eternity. Uh, This incomprehensible. And he says, help me to search out what you've disclosed of yourself. what thou hast been pleased to disclose. Well, a couple of verses here uh, that came to mind. One is in Ephesians chapter 3. And uh, verse 19, where Paul is praying for the Christians... And one of the things that he prays is that they uh, 
would know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. So we're saying that God is incomprehensible and beyond our knowledge and yet Paul prays that we might know something that surpasses knowledge. And again, that's a work of the Spirit of God. Be filled up with all the fullness of God. And then Matthew 11. Verse 25. At that time Jesus answered and said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these these things from the wise and intelligent and didst reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it is well-pleasing in thy sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. That's the only way we can know God, through the Son. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So, our knowledge of the Holy, or the Holy One, comes because of what Christ has done, and through Christ. Well, I would recommend the book. Um, Obviously, just by me reading these quotes, um, you're not going to get very much. But uh, if I would stir you up even to uh, read the book, it would be uh, profitable time spent, but even more uh, being stirred up to, as he says, uh, practice the art of long and loving meditation upon the majesty of God. That's something that I want to know more about, more time spent in contemplating what God is like and uh, just to know him in terms of his infinite greatness. Verily, God is of infinite greatness beyond anything we can comprehend or conceive. Well, um, like I said, that's not preaching or teaching, it's just reading, but maybe there's something there. Uh, let's, let's close with, uh, well, not necessarily close, but let's uh, sing Psalm 36, or Song 36 in the Redemption Hymn, Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise, 36.